So we have been working our way through 1 Corinthians, and you'll remember the story that Paul had started this church years before. He comes to this town of Corinth, it's a, it's a Greek town, and uh, he begins a Bible study and begins a church, and he stays there about 18 months, and then he heads off to continue his missionary journey. And as he does that, several years go by, and the church is continuing along, but people begin to realize that things aren't the same the way that they used to be. Something is missing. So it's at that time that the leadership gathers together and they decide to send a delegation to find Paul with a list of questions. So they send this delegation, list of questions to find Paul, and Paul gets an update as to what's going on in the church, and he begins to write back to answer their questions and then also to deal with some issues that he hears about in the church. Paul's letter back is what you and I would call 1 Corinthians, and that's what we've been traveling through. So today, I want to begin this by uh, looking at something that was said in the Old Testament. It'll be important for our study today, but there in your outline from the book of Hosea, God is speaking and he says this. He says, I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and I have used with your pen and hand underlined similitudes, similitudes by the ministry of the prophets. So God says, in, in ancient times, I've spoken in a number of different ways, but one of the ways that I've spoken is I've used what's called similitudes. Now, a similitude is just simply a word picture. Uh, there's a story going on, but it's a picture of something else. In uh, 30 seconds or less, hopefully, uh, I'll give you a condensed similitude from the Old Testament. All the way back in the book of Genesis, there's a man named Joseph. And as the story goes, Joseph is one of two people in the Old Testament that the Bible says nothing negative about. You'll recall the story back in Genesis where Joseph is sold as a slave by his brothers and he's sold for silver. And he finds himself in Egypt and he's thrown into the dungeon as the story goes. And while he's in the dungeon, there are two other prisoners who come alongside of him and they both work for Pharaoh. One is the baker that works for Pharaoh and the other one is the wine steward. And so you have the picture of communion, the bread and the cup. And so you'll recall the story where they have a dream and they ask Joseph to interpret the dream. So the baker who represents the bread tells his dream. And you remember when Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. And uh, so Joseph interprets the baker's dream and he says, okay, here's the interpretation. You are going to hang on a tree. And uh, then the wine steward says, well, what's, what's mine? And so uh, the wine steward, of course, that represents the cup. He says, well, that's, you know, and you remember when Jesus says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so to the wine steward, he says, you're going to go free. And so ultimately, Joseph is lifted up out of the dungeon. He becomes second in charge. You you and I as believers hold to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son. And so he becomes the second person uh, over the whole known world. And through his action that he takes, he literally becomes the savior of the whole world. Now, that is a uh, story of what happened in his life, but it's also a picture of something that would happen 2,000 years in the future. Do you find that interesting? Should I leave that out of the third service or should I tell him that? Okay, we'll, we'll stick with it. <laughs> All right, so anyways, so he, he gives a similitude. So today, Paul reminds the Corinthians of a similitude that he had told them. They, they, they understood this. Now, this similitude, we're going to do in two parts. I'm going to cover the first part today, then we'll do the second part in our next study. But this similitude is something that takes place 1,500 years before Jesus is even born. And uh, this similitude 
will cover the first five books of the Old Testament. Now in verse 1, Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren. The idea is that Paul's going to say that um, this is how it works. And apparently he had taught them this, but somewhere along the line, they, they've forgotten, they're now missing what's going on. So, so uh, let me tell this story as we unpack this. And again, this is much bigger than what we can talk about today. I'll just give a couple of details as we travel through. But the story will begin with the nation of Israel, and they are enslaved in Egypt. Now you have, you have a homework assignment this week. You can do one of two things. You can either rent the movie, The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston, or you can read the first five books of the Old Testament this week, whichever you want to do, either way. But uh, one, one might be a little bit shorter. But, uh, but our similitude, our picture today is going to begin, I want you to write this down, it's all going to begin with God's people in a hopeless situation. They were slaves in Egypt, their, their families were separated, uh, they had no freedom. And so it's in that time that God says to Moses, and now you want to, you want to underline the, a few verses here, or a few words here. He says, then the Lord told him, you can be sure I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard their cries for deliverance from their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering." And, and uh, so this is where the story begins, and their story begins kind of where many of our stories begin. It's in that, that place of misery that God begins to work. There's been a divorce, a bankruptcy, a, a sickness, a death, a, a breakup, something, something's happened, and that's where God begins to step, step in, and that's where our story begins. For the nation of Israel, as you read the story, you find out that they don't call, they don't cry out to God until they're really miserable, and, and uh, sometimes we can be the same way. So like us in their misery, you want to write this down, they cried out to God and God saved them. So God tells Moses there in your outline, he says, so I have come to rescue them from the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own good and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The cries of the people of Israel have reached me, and I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh, and you will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And you know the story. Uh, Moses goes to Pharaoh, says, let my people go. Pharaoh says no, and then all of a sudden God begins to send the plagues. And uh, there's a number of plagues, but the last plague is the plague that we refer to as the Passover. God says This is how I'm going to save my people. Now remember, this is a similitude. It's a story about what happened there, but Paul's reminding them that this is also a picture of something else. So they were to, in that time, God says, I'm going to bring judgment across the land. And here's how you're going to avoid that judgment. You're going to take a lamb, and the lamb's going to be killed. You're going to take the blood of the lamb, and you're going to put it in a bowl. And that bowl, you're going to go to the house of those who would receive, and you'll take hyssop. Now, hyssop is a branch, and you dip it in the blood, and you're to put it, you're to sprinkle it on the top of the doorpost like this, and then dip it, and then sprinkle it side to side. So of those who receive, they would literally have the picture of the cross there on their door. And so God says, that night, judgment is coming. And uh, there in your outline in in, uh, Exodus 12, it says, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. When I see the blood, I will, what's it say? Pass over. Go ahead and underline that. Pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. 
So that night when judgment came upon the land, those who were, as we would say, covered by the blood, they were passed over in judgment. That's why we call it the the Passover. It's important to say that they were passed over in judgment, not because they were good or righteous people. They were passed over for one reason and one reason only. They were covered by the blood. That is that they accepted that covering as their way of escape. And those who rejected that ultimately uh, brought judgment upon themselves. Now that was a picture of their salvation Paul tells us that that's a picture of our salvation. You'll remember back in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, this little verse, we looked at it back then. It says, Christ our Passover also has been sacrificed there on your outline. So in the same way as you become a believer, you're not saved because you're good or you've done good things or you're a righteous person. You are saved because of one reason and one reason only. You have accepted the free gift. We would say the blood covering. uh, And there's a number of different ways that we can say it, but you have to receive that. They had to receive that on their door or they had to reject it. And so that's how we are saved. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. So in in, uh, verse Um, verse 1 of chapter 10. I'm going to read the first four verses, and I want you to underline the word all every time we come to it. And he says, for I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, this is going to be important, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So Paul takes that time as Israel comes out of Egypt, and ultimately they would have the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and that becomes a picture for you and I. And the part that I had you underline was the word all. And the reason for that, we're going to find as we unpack this, this time and next time, you want to write this down, there was one plan for salvation, one plan of salvation for all. And all had to come in this one way. Now, interesting, that plan of salvation, that Passover, was given not just to the Jewish people. It was given to anybody who would receive that blood covering on their door. Many other people, other than the Jewish people, received that blood covering, which is why it says there on your, out, uh, on your outline, from Ezekiel 12, it says, a mixed multitude also went up with them. And I want you to underline that word, up, went up with them. You see, there were others who had heard, they had seen the plagues, and when that, they heard that judgment was coming, they accepted that blood covering on their door. When that took place, they were saved, and when they were saved, they then went with the people of God as they left Egypt. Now, as they went, you notice it has the word up. A mixed multitude also went up with them. So as they joined the people of God, they were going up. And one of the warnings that God gave to his people and those who would follow him, there on your outline, he says, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help. Those who go down to Egypt for help. Let me, let me show you how this works. When uh, In the Bible, Egypt is always a picture of the world. So Egypt is here, and that's down, and you see that Israel, Jerusalem, is up. And by the way, let me just ask you this. Do you think that I would make a good weatherman? I mean, this just really looks good here. You can see in the Sinai Peninsula today. 
So the idea is that Israel is always up and Egypt is always down. And so whenever you walked away from the Lord, and one of the problems that God people had is they wanted to always go back to Egypt. So the idea is that when God saves you, he saves you to take you up. But the warning is make sure you don't go back down to what it is that he saved you from. So uh, we'll talk about that more in our next study as God's people wanted to keep going back down. So they were saved at the Passover. They, they had the blood covering, the judgment passes over, now they're saved. Once they were saved, they begin their journey with God. And here's what we're going to find. I want you to write this down. Once they were saved, they were baptized. And in verse 2, it says, all were baptized, and you want to underline that, into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So the interesting thing about their baptism and ours, uh, when, if, you, if you're familiar with the story, as Israel heads out of Egypt, now they're saved, they're following the Lord, they're heading out of, of Egypt, all of a sudden the Egyptians decide that they don't want the Israelites to go, so they change their mind. And you know the story how God splits the sea, God's people go into the sea, that's a picture of baptism, but as they're going into the sea, one of the things that we find is that the Egyptians go into the sea after them. But you know the story that as the Jewish people come out, the sea then goes and it destroys all the Egyptians who are coming after them. We're familiar with that story, right? So here, here's, here's how it works. There in your outline in Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel Exodus, um, Exodus 14, it says, The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that pursued them. Not even one of them remained. So they were already saved at the Passover, but we noticed something that when they were baptized, everything, write this down, everything that was destroying their lives was destroyed when they were baptized. God used that event to do something very, very significant. Verse 2, it tells us that they were baptized into the sea. And and so now that they've been baptized and what was destroying their life before has now been destroyed at that time, they now have the freedom to go forward and follow the Lord as, as, uh, as the Lord would lead. Interesting to me that in the New Testament, we're told that that's the idea of baptism. For instance, Paul would say this there in your outline. He says, therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk. And then I want you to underline where it says, in newness of life. See, God has a way of destroying what was destroying us, even for those who are believers, when we follow him in baptism. And, and there would still be some battles ahead for God's people. But um, here, here's what I'd want to say to you today. If you have come to the place and you've received that free gift, and you know that, that we, you know, however we'd want to say it, covered by the blood, saved, born again. Your next step is baptism. And if, if you haven't followed the Lord in baptism, I want to encourage you, write the word baptism on your card. We'll contact you this week, and, and let's go ahead and move forward for you taking that next step. Paul says this is the picture, and it was their next step, and it was, it's, it's our next step once we become believers. Does that make sense? So uh, one other thing, very quickly, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but in verse 2, he says this, and this is for those of us who've been around the Bible for some time. He says, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud. And then do you have the word and there? I want you to circle the word and. He says, you were baptized in the cloud and in the sea. 
one of the things that we'll find is there's a reference to two baptisms. One is going to be in the sea, that's going to deal with water. Another one is in the cloud, it's going to be a little bit more misty, we might say. And, uh, but that's a story for another day, and we'll talk about that when we come to chapter 12. We'll talk about that. So they come out of the water, they're saved, they're baptized, and then important also, you want to write this down, that after baptism, God's people learned that following God was a journey, not an event. It was a journey, not an event. When they were baptized, God didn't then say, okay, you've been baptized, I'll see you at the, see you at the judgment. He, he doesn't say that. Now, why is that so important? Have you ever met somebody and uh, you say something like, well, how's your relationship with the Lord? How's your walk with the Lord? However you term that. And they'd say something like, well, I, I was baptized. I was baptized. As though it was an event. What we find here in the story is baptism is just a step on a greater journey. And so it's the beginning of a journey. It's not where the journey ends. And many people, sadly, have been taught that, that it begins and kind of ends right there with baptism as though that's, that's something uh, impressive. Well, uh, God knew that it was going to be a great journey as they followed him. So you want to write this down. To keep them strong and healthy for the journey, God gave his people manna as a picture of God's word. As a picture of God's word. Notice in verse 3, It says they all ate the same spiritual food. They all ate the same spiritual food. Paul calls, we know it's manna, but Paul calls it spiritual food. And you notice it was for all. That's what they were all to eat. And uh, we are told in the Bible that manna, which they received on a daily basis, is a picture of God's word. I want you to notice this verse. Moses is speaking and he says, he humbled you causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. You want to underline that word manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you. And I I want you to underline all of this. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So manna is a picture of God's word. If... uh, You've seen this story and you wonder, what in the world is manna? Manna is the Hebrew word. uh, Manna just means, what is it? So it's more like a question. What is it? They looked at what God was providing. They what is it? And uh, so that's what manna means. It means literally, what is it? As believers, we're taught this as a picture that you and I are to live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, which is why here at Calvary, one of the things that we do you, you, you kind of know that when you come here, you're going to get a Bible study. We're going to open up the Word. We're going to go through. We're going to read. We're going to explain. Because we believe that man lives on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so Paul says, this is the picture. And I, and I don't want you to be unaware of that. Interesting thing about manna there in your outline. Next verse from Exodus 16, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread. Now I want you to underline the word bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather, underline that, a day's portion every day. In the journey, God's people called it manna, but God always referred to it as bread. That's how God called it. They called it manna, but God called it bread. There's a lesson in this as it relates to God's word. You want to write this down, that manna needed to be gathered every day as it only lasted one day. 
Manna needed to be gathered every day as it only lasted one day. One of the things that you find as you read through the story, when God first started raining down manna from heaven, they went out and they collected it, but they tried to collect it for several days, uh, several days worth. And what they found was at the end of the day, it rotted. And there's a reason for that. God was teaching his people that they needed to get fresh manna, fresh word of God, you might say, on a daily basis, which is why we teach people you need to be in God's word on a daily basis. If uh, you're only, the only time you're in God's word is, is on Sunday, you're going to find yourself becoming very, very weak spiritually. So you need that every day. And that was the idea. That makes sense? And then another thing that we see is that, that really hits me is because it's a picture of God's word, we notice that God gave manna only. And I want you to write that down. He gave God uh, manna only. And it was 100% nourishing. It was 100% nourishing. Manna was completely sufficient, completely nourishing. And God created manna to be perfect, uh, perfectly nourishing. And they needed nothing else. And one of the things that you find as you read the account is that it tasted very good. It tasted very good. Now, in our next story, as the, uh, in our next study, as the similitude continues, what we're going to find is there came a point when God's people said, we want something other than manna. We want something different. We want something on par, just, just something instead of manna. And when they got something instead of manna, God's word, what we find in God's people, and we'll see it next time, it brought a great plague into their life. And uh, that's why we stick with God's word. And uh, not, not to take a shot at any other church in any way, but you and I live in a generation that has shied away from God's word. And I, I think we're seeing a result in the church that, that um, um, might not be... Um, I don't even know what the word is. My vocabulary is very limited, but not good. We'll just leave it at that. So here at Calvary, we stick with the word of God. We believe that it's all sufficient, that it's, it's God's given it. So much so, Paul says they ate the same spiritual food. It was 100% sufficient. And Paul would say this about God's word there in your outline. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, and I've underlined that word adequate, equipped for every good work. So like manna, the word of God is from God, it's God-breathed, and it's 100% nourishing, and it does everything that the believer needs as far as growing spiritually. Well, as this similitude continues, we come to verse 4. And in verse 4, it says, And all drank the same spiritual drink, For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. The rock was Christ. Again, there's so much more than what you and I can talk about today. But as God's people left Egypt and they began to travel in the wilderness, from time to time, they would become thirsty. And when they were, when they were thirsty, they would always be led to the rock. Now, the, the rock, the word rock there isn't like a pebble. It can actually be translated as a cliff. It, it's a, a very strong, uh, large rock. And Paul tells us that that rock that they were led to that followed in the wilderness because there was more than one time that they came to that, that rock was Christ. It's a a picture of Christ. The first time as they came out of the wilderness, the first time that they they came to uh, this rock when they were thirsty, it says this, and that's found in Exodus 17. And he says, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, 
and you shall, and I want you to underline, strike the rock. Strike the rock. And water will come out of it that the people may drink. Now again, I I love that the rock is a picture or a metaphor of Jesus because that word means strength, it means foundation, it means solid. And uh, so, so this rock, particularly when God's people encountered it, it would pour out water and that would be refreshing. So the first time you find, and, and there will be more than one time that they encounter the rock, but the first time that they encounter this rock, it says that it had to be struck, literally, had to be struck, which I find interesting because as a picture of Jesus before he could pour out the water, and we'll see in a moment that that's a reflection of the Holy Spirit, he had to be struck, and then once he was struck, he was able to pour that out. So Jesus would say this on your outline. He would say, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So God's spirit ultimately would be released after Jesus was struck, after the rock was struck. So again, there's a lot that can be said there, but in the interest of time today, we just can't talk about that. But write this down. Encountering the rock, and that's Jesus, is to be perpetually refreshing. It's to be perpetually refreshing. You can always tell when somebody has really encountered the rock. They've really encountered Jesus because they're different. Being a Christian was never intended to be a, a religion per se, where you, you have a list of rules and uh, you have orthodoxy and all that, which is all great stuff, But Christianity was to be a relationship with a very real and living God. And as his spirit comes inside of us, it then flows, he then flows out of us. And that's the picture. And so I I would say in that relationship with him, and you can always tell when somebody has actually encountered Jesus, uh, they tend to describe it as, uh, it's just refreshing. It's just refreshing to know him and to experience him. Which is why I believe that here at Calvary, One of our great jobs collectively is for you and I, part of our job is just simply to point people to the rock uh, that has been struck. And as they encounter him, we allow him to refresh them and experience him and, and watch the life change that takes place. Again, a lot more can be said about that. So far, so good? Okay, you're not saying it like you mean it, but I'm going to go with it. Again, I think there's a lot of information here today. Uh, Last time I taught this, I taught the first 13 verses. I have no idea how I got through it. But I used to teach a lot longer. And, uh, you know, four hours of teaching and, you know, people are ready to go home. (laughs) So we've gone through the first four verses. And what I wanted to talk about today and end up with is is the part that, that many times we miss. Why is it? that that lamb had to be slain and the blood placed on the door so that judgment could pass over those who had received it. Why did Jesus have to come to the earth? Why did he have to die? Couldn't God just say, you know, I forgive you and, and just accept it? Why did all of that have to happen? The way that it was explained to me that's made the most sense in my life is that the Bible teaches that you and I are created in the image of God. Being created in the image of God, there are certain things that are unique to you and I as human beings that the rest of the creation doesn't experience. 
One of the things, because we're created in his image, you and I have a need for justice. The reason that we have a need for justice is because we've been created in his image. The rest of the, the, rest of the creation doesn't have that need for justice. So you, you've heard me say things like 20 dogs live up and down your street, two dogs get into a fight over a pork chop, one dog rises up and kills the other dog. Do the other 18 dogs on your street cry out for justice? No. They just want to know what you're going to do with the pork chop. That's all they care about. They don't have that need for justice. You and I, however, because we are created in the image of God, we have a need for justice. We have a taste of a need for justice, and we get that from God because God is justice. So you and I have a taste, and we need it, so we have no idea how much he needs to have that justice because it just emanates from him. So you and I are watching the news, and we see that somebody gets drunk, they drive 80 miles an hour, and they plow through a school zone, wipe out some kids at a school bus. And we're following the story. As we follow the story, we find the guy goes to, to jail. He goes before the judge. It's time for the trial. And so the judge stands up, and again, we're all watching this, and the judge says, you're guilty. You know, we had it on videotape. We had it on surveillance. We have eyewitnesses. You did it. Everybody knows you did it. You are guilty. But uh, here's the thing I want you to know. As the judge, I love you, I forgive you, and you are free to go. Would any of us be okay with that? We wouldn't. And the reason we wouldn't is because we are created in the image of God. There's something in us that needs to have justice. So God looks on at us and he says, I love you. I created you. I created you for a relationship. And I want to have that relationship with you. But the truth is, uh, you've done these things. You know, you've lied, you've cheated, you've, um, you know, for some of us, you know, unfaithful to our future spouse, uh, unfaithful to our current spouse. For some, we, we ended the life of our firstborn for, because it was convenient to do so. We, we've done things like we said, I do at an altar, but then we didn't. You know, we've cheated. We haven't always been honest with people. So we've all done some things, you know, greater or lesser, but we've all done some things. And God looks on and he says, you know, I, I love you and I want to forgive you, but you've done these things. And just like you need justice, I need justice too. So there in John's gospel, Jesus says it like this. He says, on your outline, he says, for God so loved the world. That's why he created us, by the way that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So God says, you know, you, you've done these things, but, but I love you. And um, somebody, because you have a need for justice, I have a need for justice. Some, somebody has to pay for this. But God, because he loves us as his creation, says I can't bear to see you pay the price for the things that you've done. So God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to the earth as a man. I'm going to live a perfect life. And then at that particular time on the appointed day, I'm going to step into your place and I'm going to pay the price for everything that you've ever done. And for him, that meant that he would die a horrific, humiliating, painful death on a cross. And he would would die that 
because uh, die that way because he loves us so much. And he says, so I've paid that price. And if you receive that, just like they received that back in Egypt when they took the blood on the door, he says, if you'll take that free gift that I'm offering to you, he says, when judgment comes, I'm going to look down and I'm not going to see all the good or bad things that you've done. What I'm going to see is that you are covered by the blood. And because you're covered by the blood, again, nothing to do with goodness or badness, one thing, we accepted that free gift, we accepted it, covered by the blood. He says, when I look down, because you've accepted that, then I will pass over you in judgment. And he did that because he loves us. He created us for a relationship. He loves us and he wants that. In the similitude that we looked at today, we saw that it was more than the Jewish people who accepted that blood covering on their door. But every one of them had to make a decision. And the decision was simply, I'm either going to accept that or I'm going to reject that. For those who received that, they were passed over in judgment. And that began a whole new life for them. It meant being set free, it meant becoming the people of God. But for those who rejected that, when judgment came, judgment came upon their house. It came upon them. So as we close in prayer today, my question to you is, have you come to the place where you have accepted that free gift. You've allowed him to pay that price for you, which he did because he loved you and he wanted to. Have you accepted that? And if you have not accepted that, then today as I close in prayer, you have the opportunity in your own way or how I pray, however you want to do that, to receive that free gift and then know because you have accepted that, You are his, not because you've done good things or been a good person, but you're his because you've allowed him to pay that price for you. You've been covered by the blood. That's his desire for every person that he has created. But he will never force you. He'll never force you. But if you want that, he wants that. And just so you know, there's a lot of people around you who want that too for you. But you have to decide, I want that. It's the simplest, most amazing story ever that God loved us so much that he came and he paid the price so we wouldn't have to. So I'm going to pray. My prayer is not flowery. It's not even canned or anything. And uh, there is no prayer in the Bible how you do this. It's simply a saying, yes, I, I want that. I receive that. And so if you want to pray that, As I close in prayer, you pray. You can either say what I say or in your own way. Now, as as you do that, I'm going to ask you to do two things. Number one, would you let us know, if nothing else, let us know on your connection card that you've done that. We want to connect with you, give you a, a good start on your new walk with the Lord. There will be prayer partners standing by in the front after the service. They would love to pray with you to just solidify that decision. But don't leave here today. Don't leave here today without accepting that free gift. Let's pray. Jesus, we come before you now 
and um, in our own way before you, we simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me of my sins, all the stuff that's been a barrier between you and I. I want that relationship with you. I, I accept your free gift and the fact that you loved me so much that you stepped into my place and you took the punishment because you couldn't bear to see me go through all of that. And so I, I received today your free gift. I received today your incredible love for me. And I ask that I would experience, as we read earlier, that living water inside and coming out. I promise today, as, as we saw in the story, when they were saved, they began to follow. So today, I commit to following you as best that I know how, as you lead. I know I can't do it apart from you, so I'm asking you to step in and give me the wisdom, the guidance, and your spirit as I take this step. And the Bible says that if we open our hearts to him, he comes in and he never leaves. And if you've prayed that prayer today and you've received that that free gift, he wants you to know he's never going to leave you. You won't be able to get rid of him. You're his and he is yours. (laughs) Father, I pray that you would keep each of us as we go forward today And Lord, that we would be, as a church and as individuals, those who point to the rock that was struck, that now gives out the living water, that we would point people to that, and that you would pour that living water in people's lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, and all God's people said, God bless you guys.